Well, on this uh, Mother's Day, I thought that I would just tell you a little story from Scottish church history about one of the mothers of the faith and a young daughter of the faith as well. Uh, So I'm going to transport you back to the 17th century. Scotland was a very poor country back then, still not particularly rich as far as most of Europe is concerned. It's the poor little sister of the United Kingdom, uh, even still. Uh, But in the 17th century, there was a lot of poverty and the church experienced tremendous persecution. Uh, thousands were murdered, murdered for the sake of the gospel. Uh, if you did not admit the king to be the head of the church, you could and many were instantly put to death, thousands. Uh, so the 17th century in Scotland and England, but we're talking about Scotland, saw three main characters who were kings, Charles I, Charles II, and James II. Charles I was an Anglican, committed to Anglicanism. Charles II was an Anglican, well, he kind of started saying he was a Presbyterian, but he was really an Anglican, and it wasn't really all that long until they discovered that at heart he was actually a Roman Catholic. Right? So you've got Charles I, the Anglican, his son Charles II, Presbyterian, no, Anglican, nah, Catholic. James II, Catholic, Roman Catholic. So you've got these three kings. Charles II was king from 1625 to 1649. So a good chunk, that's Charles I, excuse me, Charles I. A good chunk of time, 1625 to 49. He, Charles I, sought to press religious uniformity throughout Scotland and England. What is religious uniformity? Here's what it looks like. He issued a book called the the Book of Common Order, the Book of Prayer, essentially. And that that meant that in every church throughout the whole country, Every Sunday, every church would be doing the exact same thing and saying the exact same words. So all over, like it sounds bizarre, but every church that you would pass, that day the minister gets up and he reads the same scripture portion and he says the same words liturgically. And his sermon is going to be the same as down the street. So there's no such thing as who's the best preacher in town. They're all preaching the same sermon. But it was, it, was the, it was religious worship that the king felt was safe and that the king felt would promote his ideas and his advisors' ideas. So all over the country, the act of uniformity meant that you must say these words, read this scripture, sing this hymn exactly like every other church to keep it all safe. For the king. However, in Scotland, generally, the Scottish church said, nah, we're not going to do that. We're not into that at all. They believed that Jesus was the head of the church as opposed to the king. And 
As a result of that, scripture was to dominate, dictate, and direct religious worship and not the king's book of prayer. Now, in Scotland, it caused a riot, literally. And it was a wee lady, it was a a mother of the faith, not the one I'm going to talk about today, Jenny Geddes, took her stool. She was sitting in the congregation at St. Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh. On a stool, she took her stool, and this wee frail lady lifted her stool and threw it at the prelate who was leading the king's worship as opposed to Christ's worship. And she shouted, you'll no say a mass in my lug. That's a lug in Scotland, your ear. You'll not say the mass in my ears. And she started a riot, a real riot. Spilled out into the streets, the soldiers came. There was all kinds of chaos and shooting and fighting and all the rest of it. Now what spilled over from that was the Scots in 1638 declared itself really Presbyterian and not Anglican. And there was a a real sense of, uh, you know, division between the Scottish and the English church. And the Scots said, we will not go down the road that the king wants us to go down. And the king sort of gave, you know, there was a compromise took place because he realized there was really going to be a war over this. After Charles I's execution, which was in 1649, he was executed by Oliver Cromwell, good old Oliver. His son, Charles II, became the king of Scotland, but at that stage not England, but of Scotland. Because Oliver Cromwell was the king, was, was the ruler, excuse me, not the king, the ruler in England, parliament ruled. But in Scotland, the Scottish Presbyterians really made a big mistake and they basically crowned somebody who was a dodgy character to be their king, Charles II. So he started off making all kinds of promises. Oh, I'm on your side, guys. I'll support your religious freedom. I'll not pressurize you. Yeah, right. Until he got the crown in his head and his whole mind changed and he, like his dad, started to insist and even more that the church conform and, and submit to him as the head of the church rather than Christ, rather than scripture. Christ, the king, and his dictates from the throne. So basically he began to persecute the church as well. So both Charles I and Charles II persecuted the Scottish church, sometimes very severely. And indeed, there was a period of time, an eight-year period of time, at the end of Charles II's reign into James II's reign, there was a period called the Killing Times. It was an eight-year period when many thousands were murdered for the sake of the gospel. The killing times. And at this time, what was called the abjuration oath was used to legally murder Christian men and women. Thousands of covenanters were murdered because of the abjuration oath. What is the abjuration oath? Well, the oath of abjuration would be when a government official of any kind, it could have been a soldier, Uh, or the local magistrate or any other government official would come to you randomly, just randomly, and say, do you denounce the view that declares that the king is not the legitimate head of the church? 
because there was a view that was held, the king is not the head of the church, and they would say, do you denounce that view? Do you take the oath of abjuration? Do you cast aside, do you disown the view that the Scottish church has, that the king is not the head of the church? And if you said, I cannot denounce it, or if you fail to denounce it, if you just fail to say the words, I denounce it, if you fail to say it, Literally, you could be put to death and thousands were put to death instantly. Literally shot in the head. As quick as that. I I cannot say the king is not the head. I cannot denounce the view of the Scottish church. Bang. And it happened to thousands. Thousands. So this was used to randomly approach and cause people to denounce the headship of Christ and kill them. And I want to tell you about an aged woman, a mother in Israel, if you like, called Margaret McLachlan. And a young girl of 18 years of age called Margaret Wilson. Two women. We don't always hear about the women, don't we not? But there were some heroic women who lived and died for the faith as well. It's a story that I think will bless your heart as you hear the story. It's a simple story. And it tells us about simple faith and the power of simple faith. And it will tell us about just the faithfulness of sisters in Christ who have lived before. And it will remind us of the deep hatred, the loathing that the natural man has towards the cause of the gospel. So Margaret McLachlan, who was she? Well, she was an old lady who had been married in her day to a farmer. So she had a little house on a farm. There weren't many animals on the farm by the time she was in her old age. She couldn't care for them. She wasn't really working in farming. But she lived on a small hold, a small farm. And she lived in a town called Wigtown. Wigtown is in the southwest of Scotland, right on the coast, a little coastal village. Nowadays, there's a thousand people in Wigtown. So back then in the 17th century, I don't actually know the population. I can't find how many lived in Wigtown in the mid-17th century. But I'm going to make a good guess and say there would be a few hundred at the most. It's a small town. Everybody would know everybody. And everybody knew Margaret McLachlan. She was considered a godly lady. A woman of piety. Someone who manifested genuine love towards her neighbours. She was a kindly soul. She didn't have much, but what she had, you can have it. She showed especially love towards her brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. So she had a good testimony. And she was a woman of deep conviction. She refused to listen to the prelates, the ministers, that were imposed upon the church at that time. Literally, the king decided, I will give you a minister. You can't choose your ministers. Local congregations did not have the right to say, we're going to prayerfully consider this man. We're going to call this man to the ministry. And we're going to, we're going to ordain this man as a local church. Didn't work like that. It worked rather the king would say, there's a vacancy at Grace Bible Church San Diego. Here's your new minister, folks. And oh, by the way, he believes I'm the head of the church and he's going to he's going to use the common book of prayer and he's going to just conform to everything. Now, Margaret McLachlan refused to go and listen to the local minister 
But she would go to where the covenanters would have their conventicles. That would be gatherings in the outdoors, secret gatherings usually. The word would be passed around, worship tomorrow afternoon, three o'clock, Farmer Brown's field. You know, things like that. And then all the covenanters would sneak up there. And some of the stories are just, they get the hair in the back of my neck standing up. Some of the stories about those conventicles. She would attend them, but never the church because the church was a farce. Now, of course, in a wee town of a few hundred, if you were one of these people that wouldn't go to church that you were expected to go to, to listen to the king's minister, to the prelate that was picked by the, 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 the king, then everybody knew, right? It wasn't a case of like, oh, I wonder who the covenanters are in this area. Everybody knew. So several times she was approached by government officials and she was asked to swear the oath of abjuration and she wouldn't do it. She was a marked woman. She was a marked woman. It would not be long until they dealt with her. Now, there was a young girl who was called Margaret Wilson in the same town. Her mum and dad were, it seems, believers, but maybe a wee bit more nominal, not as committed as the old Margaret, not as committed even as young Margaret. And Margaret had a sister called Agnes. Margaret Wilson was 18, and her little sister Agnes was 13. And they had a brother called Gilbert. Now these three kids, it seems, had more conviction than their parents. And they also refused to go to the church where the king's prelate was supposedly preaching. And they also would go to the conventicles. And it was well known. The Wilson children, everybody knew that they were young covenanters. And so again, it wouldn't be long until they were picked on. And sure enough, they were. Local soldiers would approach them and demand they swear allegiance to the king. They would refuse to do it. On several occasions, the Wilson's dad was taken into custody and he was persecuted and actually prosecuted. There was one time he had to pay a fine of £100. Now, just so you know, £100, today that's like $143, if I'm right, in the, the way the money would exchange. And you say, well, that's really not very much. Back in the 17th century, £100 would be like me saying to you, cough up $50,000, please. Cough it up today. In order to do that, you're going to have to go probably and remortgage your house, Right. You're going to have to make some big life changes. So dad was having to cough up. He had a farm. He was reasonably well off, but they were using him. And then in order to persecute him, at times maybe a hundred soldiers would come and encamp on his farm. And he would then have to feed them for weeks at a time. It was required of him. And as a consequence, he was becoming poor due to the fact that his children were digging in and saying that they, they followed Christ and not the king. So the kids had to at times flee to the hills and live in the caves. One day, young Margaret and young Agnes, we don't know about Gilbert, the 16-year-old brother, we don't know about him, but Agnes and Margaret decided to go down into the village in order to stay for a few days with Margaret McLachlan, the old lady. And while they were there, somebody tipped off the soldiers that they were all together, the two Margarets and young Agnes, and they came and they arrested them. They took young Margaret and Agnes and put them in a holding cell and they took old Margaret to the, the real McCoy prison. Now they kept him for several days and the two youngsters were left without blankets 
They were given minimal food and basically they were, they were being kind of tortured at that stage. And I don't mean that they were actually having you know, their hair pulled out or their nails pulled off or anything. But they were, they were given these inhumane, this inhumane living condition to try and kind of shake them. It was a deliberate ploy to cause them to say, okay, okay, the king's the head of the church. I denounce the covenanters. I denounce the, the Scottish uh, League and Covenant and so on. I denounce it. Now, the, the girls didn't denounce anything. And so they and old Margaret were taken to trial and they were all found guilty of sedition. They were guilty uh, of uh, crime against the king. And as a result, they were all to die with drowning. They were to be taken to the Solway Firth and drowned. Just to put you in the picture, this is the weirdest little... Maybe there's some beaches like this in America. I don't know. But it's very weird. This is the southwest corner of Scotland. And when the tide goes out... I was going to Google this and I forgot, to be perfectly honest. So this is a kind of guesstimate. When the tide goes out, it goes out about half a mile. You know, in, in a couple of hours, whoosh, the tide goes out. And you're left with this huge beach... And it, it glimmers if there's sun, which doesn't happen often in Scotland. But if there's sun, it glimmers. And it's, it's quite amazing. You think, where is the sea? It's like half a mile away. But that means that when the tide comes in, it comes in rapidly. You, you, you cannot walk fast enough to keep ahead of the tide as it's rising. Because it's got to come in half a mile again in, in a matter of hour, hours. And it comes in fast. So what they were going to do is they were going to tie Margaret McLachlan to one stake and tie Margaret Wilson to another and Agnes to another. But their dad, the girl's dad, fled to Edinburgh, hastily went to Edinburgh, got there and pled with the magistrates in the high courts in Scotland for the deliverance and the sparing of his daughter's lives. If he would pay another £100, remember what we're talking about, they would deliver Agnes but not Margaret. She was 18, she was culpable, she had to suffer. She had to pay the price. So he paid the £100 and the 13-year-old sister was released into his custody. And now it's Margaret Wilson, the 18-year-old, and Margaret McLachlan, who we believe is in her 70s. And they are taken to the beach. And there is a stake driven in further towards the sea. And Margaret McLachlan, the old lady, is tied to the stake. And while they're tying her to the stake, I'm not going to use the words that they used. They mocked her, they scoffed at her, they ridiculed her, they blasphemed God. They used every foul word that you can imagine in order to mock her and intimidate her. It was brutal. This old lady tied to a stake. They took Margaret Wilson perhaps a couple of hundred yards further up so that the tide would come to her later, so that she would, as she's tied to the stake, see the old lady drown. And the hope was that she would uh, recant, that she would crumble, that she would just melt. And sure enough, as the tide came in, old Margaret was drowned. And as she was drowning, one of the soldiers asked the young Margaret, what do you think of her now? To which she responded, I think I see Christ wrestling there. Think ye that we are sufferers? No, it is Christ in us. For he sends none a warfare at their own charge, which they must fight alone. They thought they would intimidate her and scare her. And the young girl 
looked at the old sister dying, drowning, gurgling, choking. And she said, that's Christ wrestling there. The Lord is with her. She's not on her own. The young Margaret then began to sing Psalm 25 as the water is beginning to rise around her legs. My sins and faults of youth do thou, O Lord, forget. After thy mercy think on me, for thy goodness is great. So she starts to sing Psalm 25. And then as the tide is rising, she begins to quote Romans chapter 8. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? And as she does this, the water is rising and rising moment by moment fast. As the water was coming to a point where it was obvious that soon she would be in real trouble, she had already begun to choke on the occasional wave as it was coming up and lapping over her face. The soldiers jumped in and dragged her out. And as she lay on the ground, coughing and spluttering, they and all of the townsfolk who had come out were begging her to denounce resistance to the king and admit he is the head of the church and admit that he has the privilege and right to impose on the church ministers and worship and so on, doctrine. And she refused to do so. This is what she said. You would have me pray for the king? I wish the salvation of all men and the damnation of none. If God wills, he will save the king. Lord, give him repentance, forgiveness and salvation if it be your holy will. Now that's not the kind of prayer for the king that they were wanting. They wanted a prayer for the king that acknowledged his alleged headship of the church. But this girl, she admitted, oh, I'll pray for the king. Lord, would you save him from his sin? Would you give him repentance? No, 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 they cried. And she again declared, there will be no sinful oath for me. I am one of Christ's children. Let me go. And they took her and they plunged back into the water and tied her again to the stake. And this time, of course, the water came up. And with chokes and splutters, she died. She drowned. An agonizing death. Terrible death. The two Margarets. Margaret McLachlan, an old lady who was kind and gracious. And who would not compromise her faith for anyone. Even though it cost her her life. Young Margaret Wilson, a young girl. Who recognized I could live and have a great life and maybe marry. She wasn't married. I'm married, have children. It's all ahead of me. Would not compromise her faith in order that she might follow Christ and be faithful to him. The two Margarets, their persecutors exemplify the wicked in its hatred for God. And they set for us an example, men and women alike, of humility of steadfastness, of courage, of commitment to truth, of an unwillingness to say to this world, we'll do what you want. I would suggest, just tying it in with our morning's message, that they had a a good understanding, a clear insight into the hope of their calling. 
into the inheritance that lay beyond the waves that were going to engulf them. And into the power of God that was with them, sustaining them and strengthening them and helping them and enabling them. If God wanted, he could have set them free, but they embraced the sovereign God's purpose and power and will. The truths of the gospel made these girls, this girl and this woman, what they were. It's a powerful story, isn't it? On this Mother's Day, we rejoice in the faith of mothers who have gone before us, who have lived for Christ, our, our friends, our, 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 our Christian family of days gone by. Of course, we don't know the challenges that are coming our way. The state, as we can see, is poised to start to legislate here, there, and everywhere. How's it going to affect us? It's kind of already in some way starting to affect us. How's it really going to affect us? What are we going to be allowed to say? What are we going to be allowed to teach? Is the state, is King Charles and the first and second and King James the second still alive and well in California? I think they are. They look different, they sound different, but the spirit is still the same to oppress, to impinge on the freedom of the church as she follows Christ. May we have men and women of our day who are willing to say, I love the Lord. Not controversialists for the sake of being controversial to attract attention to themselves. We're not looking for that. But humble people like these who are willing to give all for the Lord Jesus Christ. A wee lesson from church history. May God bless it to you in this Mother's Day. Thanks for listening so well.